Open up your Bibles to Book of Matthew. We do have three different accounts for this event in the Lord's ministry. <clears throat> I prefer the Matthew account, but I will read all three. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 is where we'll begin. As we look at Jesus and his apostles, which is really the next section of, of outlines, probably the next six or seven outlines will fall under the heading of Jesus and his apostles. And this particular sermon is entitled, Christ's Inquiry About His Person and Peter's Confession. Matthew 16, well-known portion of Scripture, especially to the Baptists, starting in verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall, <clears throat> shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was the Jesus, was Jesus the Christ. Now, if you look over to Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30, we have a parallel of this event. It says, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And then the last parallel, and this is the first time in a while that we've had all three parallels of the synoptic gospels. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 21, where it says, And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once more for this continual study looking at uh, the Lord Jesus' ministry here on the earth. Lord, we ask that you would humble us this day, that we would find the precious truths that are not hidden at all in these texts, Lord. We are thankful for these these verses. We are thankful for the truth confessed here, but uh, give us uh, the ability, Father, to uh, walk carefully, that we would expound these precious truths, that we would not leave here with greater confusion uh, than when we first came, because we know that a great deal of confusion has been issued out of these tech, of these verses covering this event. And Lord, we ask for your mercy, we ask for your leadership, and give us great understanding. Help us, Father, to recite to memory the truths that are learned here this day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two different questions asked here, <clears throat> which are really the, the only two points I have. I have a lot of notes on them, uh, but there's two points, or two questions. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And secondly, whom say ye that I am? Really, these are the only two questions, if you even have two questions, that you need to deal with as Christians, as Baptists. Whom do you say that he is? That's the most important. Whom the world says he is is really 
of a lot less concern to us. But the Lord draws attention to it. And there's some things in Matthew, as I said, my preferred account of this event is Matthew. And there's some things there that I want to point out. When Simon Peter answers, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said unto him, Blessed art thou, he's not saying, Good job, Simon Peter. He's not saying, Way to go. Good head knowledge. Way to prepare for today's lesson. He is calling out that Simon Barjona is blessed, that he's been blessed of God, that he's been given understanding here. I don't want us to make the mistake and think that this man's being praised. We're, we're, we're treading into dark territory if we do that, and it's a Catholicistic territory, if I can make up a word and try to make it work here. I don't think Catholicistic is a word. I'm pretty sure it's as far not a word as possible. But you understand here that they look at Simon Peter and they look at Paul as leaders of the Roman Catholic Church. They look here that Jesus is building the church on the foundation of Simon Peter. That's most definitely not what's happening. We can see in the context here that the conversation is not about who are you, Simon Peter? Whom does the world say that you are, Simon Peter? The whole context of the conversation is, who is Jesus? And what's revealed in this, in the, and especially in Matthew's account, is that he is the foundation of the church. He is granting authority under the church. He has established and built his church. And he didn't build it here in Matthew 16, and it's not built on the day of Pentecost. Christ Jesus had been assembling this church since the beginning of his ministry. And they were a foreknown before the foundation of the world. And that's what he's bringing attention here to, is that Simon Peter's been blessed. Simon Peter, like Steve Kaiser, like Isaac Sitters, and so on and so on, have been blessed of God to have this knowledge, and blessed of God to be members of the Lord's church. Some might even hear that and say, well, no, that was my decision to join the church. Not so. Not so. The waters don't bless you. I, they don't save you. I don't save you. God saves you. And if you're faithful unto God and you join the church because you're faithful unto him, that's very different than you making a decision for Christ. And again, we see the danger of having the wrong starting point. <clears throat> Let's dive right into these questions here. The first one that we see the Lord ask is, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You can get real caught up in that, <clears throat> especially in 2022. But remember that people today don't know what a woman is. And we'll just leave it there. How confused the multitudes were about Christ. They held him in high esteem, ranking him with the great prophets, but they lacked the perception to see him as the son of the living God. They even compared him with John the Baptist, yet these two were dissimilar in their ministries. And I'll give you an example here in a minute, but this isn't the first time we've seen this. You recall back when, uh, when we discussed John the Baptist losing his head, that his killer... His killer thought that the Lord Jesus and his ministry must be John the Baptist brought back from the dead. The world was so fast to assume that a, a person who was dead could be made alive again rather than believing that God was indeed on his creation, that he walked in their very midst. Listen to Matthew 11 verses 18 through 19 because John the Baptist was not Jesus Christ and vice versa. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. You see the logic. They couldn't have been more wrong on either one of them. But you see the assumptions the world makes of these two, and even their assumptions separate the two. They're not the same. 
They're not the same. No man can confess Christ apart from the revelation of the Father that the witness uh, and the witness of the Spirit, which we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Matthew eleven twenty seven says, All things are delivered unto me, Jesus speaking, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Has the Son revealed the Father unto you? Call yourself blessed, just as Jesus called Simon Peter. How does Simon Peter know who Jesus is? Jesus, the Son of God, revealed himself unto him. And this brings us then full circle. A right confession about Christ is important to salvation. And this is the value of, of assessing who Jesus is and who the world says that he is. 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 through 23. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. A little bit later on, 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. We see that God the Father also acknowledges uh, Jesus' ministry. We saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove or in the shape of a dove coming down. And we see that we, we, we read of the proclamation that, behold, this is my only begotten son. This is the savior of the world. As it says in, in John chapter one, the light of the world, present at creation, now come to redeem fallen man. Now, whom say ye that I am? This is the second question that Jesus is presenting. And, and they're special because they're disciples or apostles. They're special because they're members of the church. And so are you. And he presents this question unto them, members of Berea Baptist Church, whom do you say that Christ Jesus is? This is a very important question for us to ask ourselves, because there's a couple of things denoted here, that you ought to know who he is, and that you ought to be talking about it. Whom say ye that I am? Oh, I don't speak of you at all. I hardly know you. Don't know anything about you, honestly. Oh, sleeper. Oh, sleeper, we ought to not only know him and know about him and know of him, which we've got this word, this living word that will breathe into us such knowledge, but we ought to be talking about it. We ought to have a reputation. If, if we have a reputation at all, we ought to have a reputation of being one who talks about Christ. That's how the early Christians turned the world upside down, talking about Christ. That wouldn't be something that logic would tell you to do when Christians are being hunted. But they did it because that was their savior, because they were prisoners of Christ. We know of the heroes such as Paul, Dr. Luke, uh, and, and so on and so forth. But there were a multitude as the church suffered persecution and spread and new churches formed. And these missionaries that went about, they were visiting real life churches like we are today, admonishing them exhorting the word of God unto them, encouraging them, such as we do even today. Do we? 
in our text, we see in verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 16, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Very different words here. And I know that we've seen it as Baptists. We've heard preachers preach on it. I've preached on it. Uh, the word for Peter is not the same word as rock. It's small stone or small rock or even a pebble. But he's not saying, Peter, thou art Peter, and on you I'm going to build the church. Uh, very unfair pressure to have ever put on Peter if that was what the Lord had intended. And it would have crumbled. <clears throat> it would have crumbled. I mean, think of what you know of Simon Peter already in this study. And no doubt you know a lot more about him than what we've gotten to see so far. Is that who the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would be built upon? <clears throat> Are we built upon John the Baptist? Is that where we got our names? No, indeed not. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So to prove this, let's consider what Jesus will tell Simon Peter later. The devil seeks to essentially shred you. Isaac's already cracking up because I always think of shredded Pete, and it's a bad joke. But the Lord tells Simon Peter that the devil is seeking, just, just stop, man. The devil is seeking to come after you. He's seeking to devour you like a roaring lion coming at you, obviously. But I'm going to build a church on you. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for the Lord to do that. The word of God doesn't contradict itself. It didn't change from page 1 to page uh, 3,000. It's immutable all the way through. So if the Lord was talking about Peter being the one the church was built upon, and then later talking about how Peter is a prayer away, he's literally the hand of God away from being devoured by Satan. I, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. These two verses, verse 18 and 19 of Matthew 16, have been a battleground for centuries. The Romanists claiming from them, from them the office of the Pope and the power of the church to dispense grace. If you ever wondered where popery came from, it's right here. This is how uh, important it is that we interpret Scripture with Scripture. This is how important it is that we hold to the context of the verses of the Word of God because it can lead to devastating error. This harlot set in motion with Babylon, but here she finds a foundation that's false, that's untrue. And she says that the Lord God had set forth for there to be a man as a head of the church that would be given the authority to bind on earth and bind in heaven. And again, with the wrong starting point, only devastation follows. The Protestants, seeing in these verses something entirely different, will let the Bible speak for itself as we consider the symbols in these verses. First, we see the rock is Jesus Christ. The rock is Jesus Christ. Christ said so himself in Matthew 21, verse 42, as he was referencing what Isaiah wrote in 28, 16. Let's start with Isaiah. Chapter 28, verse 16, it says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. A cornerstone is what you would measure everything else on a house to. A sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And then Matthew's uh, account, Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
Peter says that Jesus Christ is the rock. Consider 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-8. through 8. And before I even read it, this is the same Simon Peter. He says, To whom uh, coming as unto a, li a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Is he talking about himself? Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Simon Peter. Mm -mm. Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Is it here talking about Simon Peter? Do we have to believe upon or in Simon Peter? To have our salvation. He goes on to write, Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. Again, is this pronoun referring to Simon Peter? But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Simon Peter also quoting Isaiah and also quoting Jesus Christ. He's not talking about himself. Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under, the, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And in the context of Acts chapter 4, they're speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ not the apostle Simon Peter. Paul names Christ as the rock in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He writes, And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drink of that spiritual rock, and he's talking of the nation of Israel, way back in Exodus, and that rock was Christ. Paul also calls Christ specifically the head of the church. Consider Ephesians 1. Verses 20 through 23, which he wrought in Christ, speaking of the works of God, the plan of God, he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He also makes reference to this, or, or we see the reference to Christ as the head of the church in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 16. And this uh, doesn't even come from a man. Listen to this. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto Jesus, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed unto Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, <clears throat> which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zabulon and Naphtalim. And that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying, The land of Zabulun and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light 
is sprung up. That great light, beloved friends, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writing again, says, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And as we said before, when he is preeminent, when he is first and foremost in all things, everything falls in line. When he is indeed the starting point, when we understand our place in his holiness, in his sacrifice, it becomes very easy to make decisions in this life. And it's my prayer that we would all do better at that. Throughout the Old Testament, the rock speaks of God, not man. Deuteronomy 32.4, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are, ju are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Deuteronomy 32.15, a little bit later in that same chapter. But Jeshurun, <coughs> Jeshurun waxed fat. Excuse me. <coughs> but Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Jesus, therefore, says in verse 18 of Matthew 16, Thou art Peter, Petros, a small rock, and upon this rock, talking of himself, which is the context of the chapter, Petra, which is the word used here, which means a large rock foundation, I will build my church upon me, which lines up with everything we see in the Bible. Salvation made possible by Christ Jesus. Faith made possible by Christ Jesus. Redemption, deliverance, and so on and so forth. Another type that we see here are the keys. Did Simon Peter have keys jingling in his pocket? No. Did Jesus hand him keys? In a sense, he handed him authority, but it was his authority to grant, not Simon Peter's to claim. The keys mentioned here refer to the church's stewardship in the kingdom. They're not the keys to the church, but the keys of the kingdom. They're not the keys to death or eternity, for Christ holds those. Revelation 1.18, he says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. In the Bible, keys stand for authority or stewardship or a responsibility. Luke 11, verse 52 says, Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. Peter used these keys when he opened the door of faith in Acts 14, 27, where it says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. This wasn't literally Simon Peter opening the door of faith. It was Simon Peter delivering the gospel which opened the door of faith. It was the general call made effectual by the working of the Holy Spirit. Not Simon Peter's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God the Father, the third person. And we see also it happens to the Jews in Acts 2, the Samaritans in Acts 8, the Gentiles in Acts 10. And it is pictured like a door suddenly opening. And if you're here and you've been saved, you acknowledge likely that that's how it was for you. 
a truth perhaps you've heard your entire life that suddenly it was as though somebody kicked the door in or opened the door and you were made to understand. And it wasn't an individual and it wasn't you. It was God. It was Christ Jesus. This is stewardship. These keys represent stewardship, not lordship, not popery. Another type that we see here is a binding and a loosing. And this implies applying God's word to people. In, 18, in chapter 18, verse 18, this is used of church discipline. And the power is given to all the disciples, not just Simon Peter alone. If he were to be made pope here, wouldn't it have just been given to Simon Peter and Simon Peter alone? But Matthew 18, 18 says, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And this was a direct reference to discipline, which is still something we're called to do today. In Jesus' day, the Jews spoke of binding and loosing when a rabbi would forbid something or permit something. Warren Wearsby suggests here that the more accurate translation is in the Williams translation of the New Testament, which says, whatsoever you forbid on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven, and whatsoever you permit on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. The church does not tell heaven what to do, but obeys on earth what heaven commands the church to do. Who is the head of the church? Christ Jesus. Who leads the church? Christ Jesus. My title is under shepherd, not shepherd. I, I'm called to administer to the needs of the church. You're called to see to the needs of the church as well. But we have one head to this body, and that's Christ Jesus. Same here. The church would never presume to tell heaven that suddenly we're going to be okay with this sin. Or suddenly we're going to come down harder on this sin. Or suddenly we're going to bump that tithe up to a tithe and a half. From now on, it's a tithe point five for everybody here. The church doesn't have the authority to rewrite the word of God. No man does. And yet these are the trespasses of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, just some of them. They've not only presumed to do it, they've assumed to do it. And they've been doing it for years. And you can see it in their own history. A hundred years ago, they looked a lot like us. Head covering, against divorce, remarriage, and quite a few other things. Except Christmas. They've been wrong on that for a very long time. And then they changed. Does the word of God permit such change? Have they not assumed that they can command heaven as to what is now acceptable and not acceptable? Do they not have an archdiocese, archbishops, and other figureheads for which make decisions supposedly on the word of God as to what's right and what's wrong? Do they not still influence your homes even today, though you don't call yourselves Catholics? Our president is one. It was a day in America where that would be controversial. His name was John F. Kennedy. Wasn't that long ago. How far we have fallen. But we weren't called to. Simon Peter is pronounced as blessed here. Not based on accolades or achievement or willingness or ability. But because God so loved him. Because God so loved him. Christ Jesus was given as a sacrifice. Because God so loved the elect in this room. 
Christ Jesus was given as a sacrifice, and you were called to be obedient unto him, faithful unto him. The last thing for us to point out here in closing is that Peter never claimed to be a pope. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, He himself writes, The elders which are among you I exhort, whom also, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He says something that should, if you know Simon Peter at all, should draw emotion. It should cause for us to think back to that night when the Lord asked him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me at all? And each time Simon Peter responded, Christ admonished him to feed the sheep. Simon Peter writes here, Feed the flock of God which is among you taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of ready mind. Filthy lucre doesn't mean Budweiser. That's not liquor. Look up the word lucre and understand what it means and understand exactly what he's talking about here. Not for filthy lucre, not for personal gain, not for selfish desires, but of a ready mind. Not on self-dependency, Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. That line right there is proof enough. He did not see himself as a pope. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear. Simon Peter referring to himself? Of course not. When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Thank you, Simon Peter, for clearing it up, this great confusion that has riddled the minds of uh, men, the minds of men that only think evil continually, to think that popery and Roman Catholicism is the answer. Simon Peter says not so. Let us be indeed students of the Bible. Let us be diligent in our understanding of what it says here in Matthew 16. What it says here in all these verses, we've, got, we've come into a tough bit of territory between Wednesday nights and Sunday afternoon studies. Some things that will really rile some folks up, and you ought to be talking about it. Whom do you say that he is? Do you say that he's one that loves everybody? Or do you acknowledge that he, while in the womb, loved one and hated the other? Do you say that he gave the keys of the kingdom to Simon Peter to be a pope over all the world? Or do you acknowledge that he is the cornerstone, the foundation? He is literally what we lively stones are measured against. Help us to do our diligence to make sure that we're heeding to the word of God.